Heavens, I just realized where we are. Satan's Hollow, why did we come way out here to park? Just to be alone. Silly, I know that, but why this spooky place? The lake would have been more romantic. Sure, and as busy as a meat market selling 10 cents steak. We interrupt the music to bring you a news bulletin concerning the fiery object that was reported to have crashed in the hills east of town an hour ago. Fiery object? What's he talking about? Shh. Let's hear this. The object, whatever it was, has not been located yet, although state police are combing the area where it was seen to have come down. No trace of any wreckage or debris has been found. The only They were just preparing to retire for the night when they saw a bright flash through their bedroom window. They ran to the window just in time to see what Mr. Stokes described as a giant-sized shooting star dive behind a hill and apparently explode. The witnesses were unable to say exactly how far away the fireball fell, and it is believed that this is the reason the searchers have been unsuccessful in locating it. Stay tuned to the station for further developments as they occur. We return to music for your late hour listening enjoyment. What in the world do you think it was? Not from this world, baby. You heard what the man said. It came from the sky. Betty, are you ever serious? Sure, I'm real serious right now. About you. since you had yourself a big hot screaming ear full of forgotten horrors. <laughs> well, well, in close now for a crepuscular half hour or so of the Forgotten Horrors podcast with your hosts, John Woolley, Michael H. Price, and my own self, Wolf Brand Jack. <laughs> And thank you very much, Michael H. Price and Wolf Brand Jack. I'm John Woolley. That's Michael Price. Joey yeah. Hambrick is our engineer and producer over here. And uh, we've seems like we've gone forever since we did a new one of these, doesn't it? Boy, howdy. I mean, it's like the lockdown uh, redoubled itself before anybody looked to uh, look up to see what was happening exactly but we're going to try and uh, going to try and rectify that with this one as a matter of fact this one and then the next one michael as you and i talked about uh over the phone here a couple of days ago <clears throat> the next one will kind of be related to this one too so yeah a little, uh, a little bit of that texo texo oklahoma vibe that's texo, exactly texo, right oklahoma and what we've got is a real texo vibe in the one that we're talking about tonight from 1967 it's called mm -hmm. Night Fright, and it yeah. was directed by Oklahoma boy James A. Sullivan, who a lot of people might know, well, not by name, but would know for his work, his editing work on Manos, The Hands of Fate. Oh, yeah. And he was the editor on that and did some other stuff. One of those Texas guys down there that was involved in uh, in some of the Larry Buchanan pictures as well. And, you know, Michael, we have... 
in our uh, forgotten, our book, Forgotten Horse to the Nth Degree, you have a wonderful piece on Larry Buchanan and uh, one of the films, I won't, won't be a spoiler on it, but one of the films that's at, at right now, uh, the only copy is at the bottom of uh, Lake Dallas, I believe. Is that correct? Oh, Venus and Furs. Venus and Furs. <laughs> and uh, can you, uh, this, this, why this is not, while this is not a, a Larry Buchanan film, it looks like a Larry Buchanan film and it probably has a lot of relationships to Larry Buchanan films. Can you explain what was going on at that time? Well, you know, that, uh, of course, you've got James Sullivan from Wagner, Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. resettled in Texas. Uh, Actors including Billy Thurman, Mm -hmm. uh, a lapsed Hollywood star named John Agar, who had kind of tended to settle into Dallas Mm-hmm. because of opportunities that the Hollywood establishment had grown to deny him. And uh, you've got the uh, Jameson Film Laboratories in Dallas, which was kind of the the uh, nexus of that whole Texas independent movie-making uh, community until, uh, well, and let's say until uh, Tender Mercies in the 80s. When things oh, wow, went that long then. Yeah, it was a very long stretch, and of course, the uh, the studio, as such as it was, made commercials, TV shows. Buchanan was perfectly suited for them. James Jameson Film, yeah, Jameson Film Laboratories had that um, kind of institutional cachet that allowed them to keep anchored in lucrative TV commercials, uh, local television. Uh, documentary type programs like uh, think imagine a local version of on the road the network travelogue mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing that that Buchanan had his uh, had his involvement with um, and they also indulged independent filmmakers <coughs> who could scrape together the movie to make feature films uh, by any means necessary <laughs> and. And and so you you wound up with uh, a fairly large community. Um, it wasn't Larry who proved that Dallas could compete on a fairly level playing field with the Hollywood establishment, uh, because that had been done in the late fifties by Gordon McClendon and his drive-in movie features from Dallas. Killer Shrews and the Giant Gila Monster, and also what my well, he had that dog movie too, and my dog he? Buddy, which my is, dog Buddy, yeah, which is just which is which is which is the most interminable. It feels like a twenty-four hour viewing experience, <laughs> and that was McClendon Radio Pictures was his company, McClendon Radio Pictures, mm-hmm. and of course McClendon was a broadcaster. He um, kind of helped invent the top forty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of helped invent, not solo, but he did contribute mightily to to the founding of the Boss Jock School of Disc Jockey announcement. Right, right, right. And he owned a small string of drive-in theaters, and he figured out that, well, if we can show these pictures, we can make them. That's so right. That's kind of the template that Buchanan picked up upon. Um, Buchanan had... Uh, Ray been raised in Dallas. He was a he was a, a, a prodigy at the uh, local orphanage, uh, and made it possible through his ambitions 
to uh, turn part of the orphanage into a screening room so the kids could watch movies. Ah, very good. So he had okay. he had movies in his blood. Uh, and when he uh, resettled in Dallas after a disappointing experience as a kind of a gopher crowd extra hired hand at 20th Century Fox, uh, he, he found his niche and stuck with it for an astonishingly, astonishingly long period of time. And of course, what we're what we're mostly uh, for this for purposes of what we're talking about right now, uh, he made those eight Azalea pictures that uh, were part of the TV package that American International uh, hired him to do uh, to yeah. recycle scripts. For instance, what Zontar the Thing from Venus was a recycle script from It Conquered the World, and uh, right. and Mars Needs Women, of course, was was Pajama Party. Uh, that was the basic germ mm. or essence of. of AIP's pajama party. Right. Uh, it was presented much more earnestly. Although with the same star in both. Same star. <laughs> both Tommy Kirk in both of them. So what we're talking about is what was going on uh, around this time with with Buchanan making these Isaiah pictures. A lot of people, John Agar was, was down there. And John Agar is the star of this one. Now, again, this is not a Larry Buchanan picture, but it but it looks like a Larry Buchanan picture. It's got Larry Buchanan people in it, and um, it's 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 got that same vibe, although it was not part of the package that uh, American International hired uh, hired him to shoot. As I understand it, Michael, he made the films. Uh, he had to have was it one or two stars? I think it was one one star in each picture, and there was a certain amount of money. $150,000 sticks in my mind for some reason. I don't know if that if they were uh, that cheap or not. Larry had minimal budgets. I couldn't quote you the dollar figures, but virtually, uh, I think he said half, if not more, of an American international budget went to hire a um, kind of a has-been name yeah. brand talent like Agar, like Tommy Kirk. Right, like John Ashley, like John uh, in, Ashley. yeah, in sure, the, exactly. Like like Richard Webb in the in the uh, in the uh, the what was that film that they made the the only non horror film that they made uh, in that whole ser- set of eight was uh, what was that <laughs> I should know that it was um, uh, Hell Raiders, which was based on oh. Suicide Battalion, the old IAP film, Suicide Battalion. Anyway, sure. so this is all part, this is all kind of in the middle of all this. And let's, and Joey, Joey's wondering when we're going to give the synopsis. So let's do that now. It's essentially a very simple story. Uh, starts in Lover's Lane, uh, actually a place called Satan's Hollow, which should tell the young lovers there that maybe there will be a better place to make out. But they're doing it. Monster doesn't really, although there's a killing at the very beginning, uh, Agar, uh, Agar's sheriff and his deputy, uh, your pal Bill Thurman, uh, come yep. out to investigate. And they bring in a, a professor and they bring in a newspaper writer from uh, from the Holliston Gazette. And um, finally, uh, they realize that it's a it's a kind of a uh, a thing, uh, a, a space thing that went south. So it's an interplanetary a menace, but it's an interplanetary menace that was basically created by us. You don't really see the monster until about 46 minutes into the film, 45, 46 <laughs> minutes into the film. And then you see it quite a little bit, but there's a, it's, it's got beach party elements. At one point, the kids are going out and and one of them says to the two young protagonists, uh, 
we're going to go down to the beach and have a dance in. And they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that is to the music of the Wildcats, the instrumental music of the Wildcats, which do the, the rock and roll soundtrack. It's essentially set among college kids. And um, it's got some of the God bless Russ Marker, who also plays Mitch in it. He wrote the story and screenplay. Later on, did some Walker, Texas Rangers, like I, I assume a lot of the folks did, and, and, and one called Bikini Detectives. But he wrote, uh, he wrote this, and there is some terribly clunky dialogue in it. Uh, <laughs> as the, 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 the young female protagonist says, Oh, you dirty young man, when, she, when he kisses her, come on, let's get next to nature. Oh, and they do, yeah. and they go running around, except it's just, the nature is really ugly. They must have shot it in the winter because there's like no leaves on the trees. There's no green grass. You know, it's it's not the best time in Texas and Oklahoma f- to shoot in the, to shoot outdoors, which most of this is shot outdoors. And but anyway. Hallmark, you know, yeah. But, the hallmark of a Buchanan film or a, a film of the Buchanan school is that everything looks desolate. Well, and they got that right. They certainly appropriated that on this one. It is very desolate. Even the uh, even the beach party dancing looks sort of desolate. Doesn't help that it's pretty dark. They shoot a lot of day for night, and then they shoot a lot of night for night where you really can't see anything that's going on. Yeah. And uh, anyway, Agar, needless to say, after a couple more um, murders, uh, uh, killings by this beast that's running wild, uh, Agar uh, saves the day, uh, sort of in an interesting kind of fashion. And so it's it's not, I would not say that it's a good film, but it's, it, there's two, there's stretches that are just too long where nothing happens. They go looking for something. I'm not entirely sure they were looking for clues or something. And <laughs> Michael, it seems like it goes on. There's three of them. And uh-huh. all they do is like walk around and look at things for it seems like a really, really long time. So, um, the art of meandering, the art of meandering, <laughs> that's right, is not the province of this film it is the province of larry buchanan yes yes the the i don't subscribe to the theory of bad film in other Mm -hmm. words a film that theoretically is so bad that it becomes good right that's so much hokum but the the buchanan approach unlike the uh utterly so utterly deluded ed wood approach mm-hmm. in plan nine from outer space the buchanan approach is extreme confidence in what he knows that he is doing or not doing yes it's can you not, give me an example well it's it's just say it's not sufficient for a movie to be a hokum or or mediocrity personified mm-hmm. the film must show I'm quoting uh, a Dallas author uh, who wrote another career profile of Buchanan in the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Douglas St. Clair Smith. As as Douglas Smith wrote, and he had, had uh, kind of a protege relationship with Larry, it isn't enough that a movie be campy and mediocre, he writes. The film must show incomparably flawed craftsmanship in every detail. It must be so stupefyingly artless that it becomes art. Which is dangerously close to so bad it's good, isn't it? Yes, it mm-hmm. is. But mm-hmm. it is. It has 
it has a respect. Now, so bad it's good might apply to Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. I can't bring myself to think of Larry Buchanan that way because Larry was not deluded into thinking himself a filmmaker. Right, he right. He made films, but he did not he did not declare himself an artist. Uh, when he made his imitation Bergman film, uh, Strawberries Need Rain, he basically said, well, we can do an imitation Bergman. <laughs> so he, he was he was not delusional is basically what you're he saying. He was not delusional, uh, as was, I know, Ed Wood to have been. Yes, uh, right, right. And and Larry was, well, Wood was a stew bum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Larry was a sober businessman and family man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he... <laughs> He basically he basically made his films knowing that their budgets would never cover his vision in order to keep food on the table. Right, right. Well, again, we, we hasten to add that Night Fright is not a Buchanan film, but it looks like a Buchanan it film. It looks like a Buchanan film, and of course, if you are if you are of the <laughs> of of the attitude that that, uh, that Larry Buchanan is a great director. I considered him a great friend. Mm-hmm. He never considered himself a great director. Mm-hmm. Um, then you might find it interesting to branch out from that little body of work known as the Azalea package. And this is uh, this is branching. And it's always nice to see Bill Thurman uh, as right. deputy in this case, because he had, uh, during that same period, he was a like a really deranged bad guy in Buchanan's film It's Alive. Oh my, he does he does a wonderful job in that one. He is completely around the bend in that. And you know, it's like when I when I first saw It's Alive, I I was just enchanted with Billy Thurman. I said, "Man, what a great Lyndon Johnson he would have made." <laughs> <laughs> well, he's now you you knew him, did you not, Bill yes, Thurman? Yes, knew knew Bill Thurman. I uh, I had admired his work on television before I knew the facts in the case of Larry Buchanan. Um, got to meet him when he was looking at looking like a breakout artist uh, in the larger sense uh, as the as the bullying coach in the last picture show for Peter yes. Bogdanovich. Yes, right. And of mm-hmm. course, the last picture show is another North Texas production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just uh, something of a higher pedigree. And I said, man, this guy's this guy's got everything it takes. All he needs, all he needs is to commit himself to a larger scale of acting. And because uh, he was, you know, he's, he he acted on such a large scale that he often seems too big for his small pictures. <coughs> Their film Night Fright, I think. I think he does a pretty good job. I think he makes a pretty nice foil to uh, to John Agar's oh, resolute uh, hero. He's, you know. He's, He's working off Agar, and Agar's working off him. There was a mutual respect that is evident. You know, and, and there's, think, yes. I don't think directing has anything to do with it. No, I think you're right. You had two actors there that I think respected one another. And, you know, that's the thing that sometimes we forget. Uh, somebody like John Agar, who's a good actor. I mean, we yeah. talk, you know, people talk about John Agar and Brain for Planet Eris, and then they throw, you know, all of this. But he was a good actor, and he knew good acting, I think. And he and Thurman worked very well together. And yeah. so he also works very well with that guy, Roger Reddy, 
uh, who was oh, yeah. a professor, right? Now, Roger Reddy was in all sorts of Buchanan things. I mean, he was in Mars Needs Women and, and what, Creature of Destruction and, and Curse of the Swamp Creature and all those. And he's a good actor. Um, and so, and, and you can kind of tell now some of the people in this, especially the young people are not good actors. Oh yeah. But some of them show up again in, in, in Buchanan films and in other, in other films as well. And, uh, there's some, there's some pretty good acting that goes on in some, some sections of, 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 uh, of Night Fright, I think. There's, there's a, it's a mixed bag. It is a mixed bag. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade for the experience. Uh, the, I, 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 no kidding. I mean, there, there's certain pictures that, uh, you know, aren't particularly good and probably aren't even good for you to watch. Uh, <laughs> but you wouldn't, you wouldn't do without the experience once having, once having found it. Uh, and, uh, the, the joy of finding such qualities as the Thurman Agar teaming. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Offsets a lot of rough edges. Well, now, uh, do we want to recommend this film uh, to oh, yeah. uh, our listeners? I, w- I wouldn't hesitate to recommend anything related to the Larry Buchanan period. And this and is, de- yeah. And whether or not Larry's hands are on it, his fingerprints are on it, uh, it's certainly part of the orbit that he uh, set in motion and kept going forever. An astonishing number of years. You yeah, know? I mean, uh, you 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 can't get enough Mars needs women. Well, then here's something else from the same community of artists. Right. And, you know, it's not a it's not a Buchanan picture. The Buchanan touch is obviously missing, but it's that same community. And, it is. Yes. And, it you is. Know, I mean, it, it's same same like uh, same. same same as the uh, same as the uh, kind of the ancestor of the of the splatter film. Don't look in the basement. Mm-hmm. From that same community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. Yeah, and it looks like it too. I mean, I think you could almost watch a Larry Buchanan uh, Azalea picture, one of the ones that he made to, to fill out the AIP, uh, and look at this this one. And there are so many. So many similarities, and not just the actors. I mean, you know, you start with John Agar, start with Bill Thurman, with uh, Roger Reddy, you know, yeah. and then and the setting, which is you know, as you say, bleak. I think was the term you used, bleak. Um, well, desolate, bleak, desolate. Uh, yeah, like you look at you look at a household in a Buchanan related film, one of Larry's on own, or one of his, you know, the uh, a brown rig, a brownie brown rig picture, for example. Yes. Now those were skin flicks, mostly, were they not? Well, they were, but they also they also include uh, that seminal picture. Don't look in the basement. Okay. okay. Um, anything out of that school of filmmaking, you walk through a room, you see furniture that looks like it might not be comfortable to sit on. <laughs> you pass through the kitchen; it looks like the appliances probably don't work. You, mm-hmm. you look outside. It's like, is there any weather here? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, yeah, it's a good it's, point. It's a, it's a vacant, it's a vacancy uh, that Larry knew how to fill up with. Uh, me, nobody meanders better than Buchanan. 
Boy, and there's some meandering, and there's, I don't know, night fright. I, I got to tell you, James A. Sullivan gave him run for his money on some it's of the meandering. Of meandering and but it doesn't, it, uh, for, for some reason, I find that Larry Buchanan keeps my interest when meandering. And that's no mean feat either to no keep someone's interest with, with meandering. <laughs> well, now, next next time around, actually, we'll save that for, let, let's uh, let's uh, talk uh, about uh what we might have out there. I, I, I did want to mention uh, if people are interested in Larry Buchanan, really that whole school. You did a wonderful job in that and uh, our uh, forgotten horrors to the nth degree that uh, you oh, can, yeah. of course, get on online. And I, I, the Buchanan thing is just fascinating to me. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of that sort of thing in forgotten horrors to the nth degree, which we wrote together a few years ago. That was and, a successful, sustained collaboration. Yep. Yep, although I like Fantasies in the Sand, too. That's you know, a jewel. That seems to be doing well. How about you? What would like to show their uh, – uh, what, what's the term that you you kids use, Joey? What is the idea? They, they support you, to show their support Ooh, for yeah. what we're doing. What have you got online that might uh, might entice someone into showing their support? Well, I uh, I keep going back to some of the existing catalog. I uh, – uh, I'd like to give a particular plug just at the moment to Mark Walker's and my graphic novel, Fishhead. Yes, yes, Speaking very of nice. Of provincial Southern Gothic. Yeah, that's way deep. That's Irwin S. Cobb? Irvin Cobb, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the book itself is a graphic novel adaptation of the Cobb story, and uh, we got fortunate in uh, having uh, two two pals in the business, uh, Joe Lansdale and Guillermo del Toro to write introductions for the book, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's all. Over. It's Fishhead. A lot of people think, "Oh, you mean the you mean the Doctor Demento song?" No, that's a different <laughs> Fishhead. Yeah, that's way different from what you get in your graphic novel. Absolutely. And we've well, been going back over that and enjoying it again all all the more. Well, we've had a uh, graphic, not a graphic novel. We have had a. Uh, what am I trying to say? We have a uh, novel uh, a adaptation, an audio book. Thank you, John. An audio book uh, of old fears that has been done by our friend, my friend Mark Miller at, at Encyclopocalypse. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they've done they've done some Joe Lansdale. They've done some uh, Clive Barker. And then they, they have just done mine and Ron Wolf's old fears as a, as a full length audio book. And, uh, it, it, from Encyclopocalypse, it's only been out at this, at this time. It's only been out for a couple of months and it seems to be doing very well. It's got a, got a great reader, one of the top guys doing it. And it's just first class. Encyclopocalypse does a great job. So, uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing, as we used to say at the newspaper, if you like that sort of thing, that's the sort of thing you'd like. <laughs> now, we mentioned at the beginning, Michael, that we're going to kind of pursue this regional Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas filmmaking thing a little bit with our next podcast. And since it was your idea, and I've not seen the film, I have to say, I will have seen it, of course, by when we next meet, but I've not seen it Um uh, why don't you tell folks about it? Oh, a, a mountaintop motel massacre—a yes. a picture of uh, a picture of immense concentration on Bill Thurman. Yes, the deputy yes. from Night Pride, except uh, dominating a picture and uh, not a uh, not a picture that many people ever got to see. It uh, was completed early in the eighties. It kind of uh, 
kind of leaked or trickled out during the mid to late 80s and uh, came from a, a, a local uh, or regional Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, uh, by, uh, the McCulloch family, John mm-hmm. McCulloch and his son, Jim. Jim, yep. I'm sorry, Jim Sr. And, and Jim Jr. And that's a charge of the Model T's guys, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's... Uh, <laughs> Basically, it's like it's like a uh, like a redneck psycho. Nice, a redneck psycho. So, uh, and now it's I, got it's got some, it's got some uh, creepy music by our old friends Carol and Aura May Hubbard, the Western swing violinists from Fort Worth. And I as I remember that Carol Hubbard was in your band, Diddy Wah Diddy. That's right. Yeah, he was a fiddle player for with you and Slim Richie. That's right. Doing Diddy Wah Diddy. Oh so, yeah, a lot of connections there. And I understand also their friends at uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Is that right, Joy? Are putting have put out a copy or are putting one out? They've got one out. Vinegar, Vinegar Syndrome has got one out. Yeah. So, right. uh, so we're going to take a look at that, and when we reconvene, we will be talking to you about Mountaintop Motel Massacre. <laughs> Sounds great. Hey, Michael, thanks. Thanks to everyone for listening. In. Always good to catch up. We really appreciate everybody listening. And as always, we've got, what, the Facebook page, Joey? Is that correct? We've got the Facebook page. If there's something you'd like to hear us uh, chew on a little bit, uh, just let us know on the Facebook page. That's where you can also do any kind of uh, any kind of uh, uh, commentary you want on uh, on what we're doing here on the Forgotten Horse Podcast. Yeah. Until then, Michael, we'll see you next time after I have digested completely Mountaintop Motel Massacre. (laughs) I love the alliteration. Mm, mm, mm.